Okay, here we go. All right, so um, growth group training and interest. We're gonna do a couple things. First, we're gonna talk about the why. Why are we doing this? We're gonna talk about some guiding principles, and then we're gonna talk about the nuts and bolts of how uh, we're gonna do it. And so the why is, is as I've uh, pastored and, and considered uh, the congregation, I feel that we need to have environments for vulnerability and accountability. Uh, vulnerability and accountability specifically helps to fulfill the produce disciples portion of our mission. And so a lot of times when you uh, hear about discipleship, uh, I feel like there's this emphasis to put to like pit Sunday mornings and other avenues of discipleship against one another. But I think the reality is that we need both. That God powerfully works through the preaching of the word, through communion, through singing. God, like God uses that to actually form us. And he also uses other avenues to form us as well. And so we can see that really in the life of Jesus. So, you know, you have Jesus in the crowds, right? There's Jesus teaching and preaching to uh, the crowds. And then you had Jesus in the 72. So there's like the, seven, the group of 72 disciples that he had a little more intensive relationship with. Then you got Jesus in the 12, right? So there's a, another smaller group that Jesus has relationship with. And then you have Jesus and the three, right? And so we need a variety of discipleship environments to grow. Uh, we're not going to get a, a one-size-fits-all, okay? So that's kind of the why of what we're trying to do. Some of the guiding principles that I would like to see is, is this, this idea. Oh, wait. Let me spell it right. I should know how to spell scripture. All right, scripture plus community equals unity. Sure. <laughs> plus time <laughs> equals growth and unity, hopefully. All right. So um, one of the the, the uh, aspects of the discipleship that's very important to our church is the text of scripture themselves. Uh, the scriptures are the foundation of our spiritual growth. And we actually think that scripture isn't simply information, but that when you read here the scriptures, that you have an encounter with God, that, that, that it's, it's powerful. It actually does something to change us more than uh, any cleverness we can have, more than any plan. The scriptures themselves have power to do work in our lives. And so whatever the discipleship plan is, it has to focus on the text of scripture. And then, so that's this part, right? <laughs> then you have the community part. See, we need groups in which we can be transparent and are met with love and care. So the reality is that if, if what we believe about the gospel is true, we don't need to be ashamed of our sin because Jesus' blood covers over our sin. And one of the ways that that actually works itself out is if we are honest with the struggles in our life. If we're honest with the struggles in our life, and then, hey, and then, then sorry, then we are, um, and we're met with the gospel truths from a brother or a sister, it makes this, the gospel which is kind of up in our heads, it kind of sinks into the reality of our heart. So when I'm dealing with either struggling, so when, when somebody's struggling, one or two things are happening. Either they're suffering or they're sinning, or a mixture of both, right? 
And so when I'm honest with my brother or sister about that, and they respond to me with the word of God, the word of my forgiveness and my pardon, uh, that does something unique and something more than just hearing it spoken to the general crowd. When someone looks me in my face and says, actually, the blood of Jesus covers your sin. Yeah. Then I'm like, oh, snap. It's real, right? And so that, that, that community piece is not just that we meet together, but that we respond to one another with God's word. And then this consistent interaction with scripture, prayer, and community is a recipe for spiritual growth. So usually, and we don't grow fast all the time. Yeah? And I think a lot of times we get frustrated with uh, discipleship processes because we don't think they're working fast enough. Right, we're like, well, I read the Bible and then I didn't just instantly change. Well, you got to read it over time. I prayed and it wasn't, it wasn't good, so I don't like doing it. No, all of the spiritual disciplines are meant to be practiced over time, including the discipline of having transparent um, and, and community based on the scripture. So the idea is that when, when we get together with believers and we study the scripture, we understand that time is key. So when you get together, the heavens might not open up every time, y'all. And it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You might be annoyed by that person. And that might be Jesus working out sanctification in you. And so I think a lot of, this is very important, this, this time piece, this consistency over time. That's why if you, when, when you listen to the sermon, we talk about spiritual disciplines a lot. We talk about uh, the, the consistency of reading the word, the consistency of prayer, the consistency of being with the gathered believers. Because not that it just goes, boom, you're done. But that, that work over time produces growth. All right, so that's, that's guiding principle one. All right, so first principle, scripture plus community plus time equals growth. Second principle is obedience-based discipleship. And let, let me explain. So Matthew uh, 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Obey in Jesus. Amen. Obey in Jesus. So what's interesting, I feel like a lot of times in uh, Western discipleship, we see discipleship as primarily uh, information transfer. Right? Primarily, there's these things you need to know, and if you know the things, therefore you are a disciple. And what's interesting is that actually isn't listening to what he said. He said, you didn't accomplish it unless you taught them to obey. So what happens is when we have a model of discipleship that is primarily about information transfer, we have um, uh, false assumptions about spiritual maturity, right? So have you ever met somebody who knows a lot of stuff but is very rude? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go to a Bible college, okay? Yes. <laughs> Talking about yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Not only stuff I don't even know very much. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> <Three confessions>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, so anyway, what I want to say is maturity is not measured in what you know, but how you love God through obeying his commands and serving your neighbor. And there's this reality, there's actually the danger of increased judgment with knowledge without obedience. So what I'm saying is, if my goal of discipleship is to make sure that you know a lot of stuff without encouraging obedience, I actually, in giving 
Um, like when you stand before judgment and Jesus is like, why you didn't do that? It can't be because you didn't know. Right? right? I'm, I'm actually making it worse for you. Right? It's if you sin in ignorance, it's better than sinning willfully. And so, if, you see what I'm saying? And so, like, you can see in the, like, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious scholars. They knew the scriptures uh, back and forth. And he saved some of his, Jesus saved some of his most harsh criticism towards the Pharisees. And particularly, like, look, he even says sometimes, like, listen, listen to what they say. But do not <laughs> do what they do. Inside, they're like a grave. They're full, it's just full of death. You can also see the, the reverse that story uh, when Jesus says that there's this, this widow who it gives a mite, gives a small portion of money to the temple. And so she, she's like, hey, look, she is uh, walking in obedience. Now, I'm sure if the widow and the Pharisee would have gotten into some sort of theological debate, the Pharisee probably would have won. But in Jesus' book, the widow who obeyed with the little that she had was superior in righteousness than the Pharisee who knew much. Do a lot. And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus gives this parable and he says, you know, the one who hears my word and does it is like a house built on the rock. But the one who hears my word and doesn't do it is like a house built on sand. So the, the commonality is that everybody, both, both classes of people are hearing the word. But the solid and the sure foundation is the one that obeys Jesus. And so that has to influence the way that we disciple. Yeah? If discipleship is not only information transfer, then we have to think very carefully about how we disciple people, knowing that in America, the default is information transfer. That is the default. And now we can see the fruit of that. It's not always pretty. All right? And then the last, the, this third thing, is I kind of touched it here, but confession of sin and accountability. So 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you look at the context of that scripture, it is talking about public confession to one another. Most of the time we look at that scripture, we're like, if I go secretly and confess, I'm not saying it's not true, Jesus forgive you, okay? But, but the promise is given in the context of walking in the light. And walking in the light means not walking in a, in a secretive way. When you walk in darkness, you're like, all my stuff is here, and I'm just going to cover. When you walk in the light, because then it says, when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That fellowship with one another is talking about the transparency and the confession that we have with one another when we're sharing the reality of the sin and the suffering in our lives. And what's beautiful, he says, if we confess our, if we confess our sins to one another, what does he say? He is faithful just to forgive us, and what? To cleanse us. So, so there's actually a promise of cleansing. There's a promise of sanctification when we confess our sins to one another. James 5, 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Right? He says the same thing in another way. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where maybe there's a, there's a sin that was just rocking you with guilt and shame. And you worked up the courage to finally tell somebody. And if they responded with gr the grace of the gospel, that shame loses its power. And when you, and the shame loses its power, it frees you up to go to God again. Because all shame does is keep you away. And it makes you hide and it makes you feel horrible. And then you're more susceptible to temptation. 
And that's that sin cycle. And that's how it hits over and over again. So again, scripture plus community plus time equals growth. Being space is discipleship, confession of sin, and accountability. These are um, the principles of what we're going to do. John, could you pass these out? We're going to work at the nuts and bolts of it now. What's going to surprise you is how simple this is. Y'all probably heard it. As you guys are getting this, the the way the reason I found this particular format of discipleship was I was reading about um, missionary work, and one of the fastest growing churches uh, in the world right now is the church in Iran, which is crazy because it's illegal <laughs> and you will die. Okay, so what's interesting is the the format in which they're doing. They're taking this principle of obedience-based discipleship and trying to implement it in the way that they disciple one another. And so when they leave, they all actually have uh, challenges that they have encountered from the text. And they go, and next week, I'm going to ask you, did you do the thing? And what's crazy, that simple process where nobody's going to seminary, nobody knows Greek and Hebrew, they're just simply reading the text of Scripture, saying how this is calling them to obedience, and holding each other accountable to obeying the Scripture is the way that the Holy Spirit is spreading the gospel like crazy. And so some of the nuts and bolts is, um, I think it's on there, groups would be between two and five people of the same gender. That's just for confession of sin. Let's be real. Okay, I don't think that's all I say about that. Um, so the two to five people, same gender. The groups, we want them to meet approximately twice a month. There's some freedom in there. Approximately twice a month. Here's what, what I want you to have freedom also in the location uh, that you meet. So a little backstory. One of uh, when we first started the church, like every church plant these days, you you do home groups. That's what that's just what you're supposed to do. And what was interesting is that a lot of our literal neighbors here they didn't jive with that. And like for example, I had to, I had to know somebody for a whole year before I ever got invited into their home. And so what was interesting that that kind of threw a wrench into the whole like basic process that you do. But one of the, the, the reasons of these smaller groups is so that there can be some freedom to meet in different places. Whether it be co- uh, the coffee shop, you can come to the church, you can go on a walk, you, you, you can meet house spot too. But I'm just saying, I want you to feel some freedom to meet uh, in some, some um, third spaces that aren't always the same. Because that will make uh, people, uh, certain people uh, more uh, likely to attend um, because it will be a safer place for them uh, conceptually. All right, so we get to the boat, those of us of eat, read, pray. Now, if you've been around a church, you should know something about this, okay? I don't know, I feel like I've repeat this a lot, okay? Uh, eat, read, pray. Uh, I always just try to make it, make stuff as simple as possible. The reason it is simple is because of reproducibility. So if I were to give you a very complex thing to do, maybe you like to do it, but if you were then going to try to multiply that, and you're like, it's really complex. The next person comes around like, I don't even know if I want to do this. Okay? And so every prayer is really just taking what Jesus did in the Gospels. Y'all remember, like, they would say stuff like, why are you always eating with people, Jesus? Like, that was like, that was a, we're not reading, so. Um, <laughs> you eat with all these sinners. It's like, yeah, okay. The, the idea is that he was rubbing shoulders, getting to know people, building relationships over a meal. 
right? And usually when you're eating or you're drinking something, you're probably not just looking at each other in silence because that would be really awkward. Uh, you're, you're, you're digging deep trying to figure out something to say. So anyway, we have some time for relationship building. The read. If you look at Jesus in, in the Gospels, he's always quoting Old Testament scripture. Always. He's the son of God. He can say what he wanted to say. You know, like, didn't you hear that, that it said X, Y, and Z? So even Jesus demonstrated this reliance on the text of scripture in his discipleship. And so if you look on your, your paper there, I have three options of what you can do in a group. Uh, you can read a scripture from the previous Sunday's sermon. Usually that's like pretty clear set because you usually go through uh, books of the Bible. That would... Um, would help us uh, make sure that we're paying attention and trying to get something deeper out of the sermon. You could do one of the chapters from the CBR journal. That's our Bible reading plan. That would enforce accountability that you're reading the Bible daily, right? So like, we're going to read. Well, we're going to read one of those chapters. I hope you've been reading it, right? We want to force, again, practice. We want to make sure there is accountability. Or you could choose a book of the Bible and just work through that together. So there's really some freedom there as far as what the group could do. And then we ask basic discussion questions. And I took this really fancy class called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics taught me to do this. <laughs> hermeneutics is when you're reading the text, you're, you're, you're at, really all you're doing is asking questions of the text of Scripture. Is what you're doing. That's all you're doing. And so when you're reading, you're asking what sticks out to you. What, what, kind of, what might be peculiar or interesting or fascinating. Like, like that, that's one of the things that, uh, that we believe that the Spirit works through the Word. And sometimes the Spirit works through the Word by when we're reading something, we're like, huh, kind of pops out to you. That could be a sign that the Spirit is really trying to impact you through that text. Then we ask, what does it say about God? We believe that Scripture reveals the character of God. And here's the interesting thing. The reason this question the reason these questions stump people is because they want the answers to be more complicated than they are. Okay, so, so what does it say about God? He is good. That's fine. Do we need to know that He is good? Do we need to be reminded that He is good? I need to be reminded that He is like so. So again, we're not going to seminary. That's that's because again, the purpose really is accountability and obedience. Do you see the subtle difference there? I'm not saying we're going to have. Like, like a Sunday school class, which I'm not against that. We actually have one now. But I'm saying we actually need accountability to obey what it is that we know. And here's the crazy thing. When we obey what it is that we know from the text, the Spirit teaches us more as we obey. So we say, what does it say about God? And we say, what does it say about people? And it could be like, people are bad. Or people will lie. Whatever. It's, it doesn't have to be complicated. Okay? Uh, that's, that's the point I'm trying to tell you. It does not have to be complicated. And then four, the question is, how can I specifically obey what God is telling me through, through this passage? Now, a lot of times when we do this, particularly at Welcome Leadership Development, I'll say, how do you obey? And they'll say, I obey. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I need to do the thing that, you know, I'm saying, like, from the text. And so I remember... Um, there was, there was one time I was reading scripture, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was talking about, I don't remember, it was when we were in John. When we were in the Seabird Journal and John. In John 14, uh, that first couple verses, it talks about, hey, I'm, um, I'm going to my father's house, and my father's house is going to be room, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I was reading that, and then a particular person popped in my mind who's having just a really hard time. 
And I remember sitting with him, like, thinking, I don't think his situation is going to get better, so I don't know what to tell him. That, that's, that, that's a real life. Like, I don't even know how to encourage this dude, because I, I can't fix it, he can't fix it. But then, when I read the scripture, Jesus was like, well, I'm going to fix it eventually, and you need to go tell him that. And so the next time I saw him, I said, hey, man, let me tell you about John 14. And the craziest thing is I started saying it to him, and then he finished the quote. And he was like, that's so encouraging to me. That's right. There is going to be a day when Jesus fixes these problems. And so, again, it's not like I, I did a text. It wasn't, wasn't complex like intellectually. But as I'm reading a text of Scripture, and I'm asking God, how can I actually obey you through the text? Number five, and this kind of relates, it's like, what portion of this passage can I share with a specific person? I don't know if y'all know this, but the, the scripture encourages us to speak the word of God to one another. Yeah? Has anybody ever shared a scripture with you and you're like, that was really encouraging? Mm -hmm. Now, usually, you'd have probably heard the scripture before, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, they like, ain't never heard of it. No, you didn't heard it. But in that moment, the Spirit used his word, which is powerful, to um, work um, encouragement in our hearts. And so the focus of this practice is, listen, to learn how to read the scripture and train yourself to read scripture with the goal of obedience. Yeah? I think that would transfer a lot of our devotions. Like, we read it like, that was interesting. Like, if we, were, if we got to the end and that was interesting, we didn't read it appropriately according to how Jesus has taught us to obey his word. Okay? Um, these are the basic questions of hermeneutics. And those who are more mature and familiar with Scripture can help those who are younger in the faith to understand. Okay, so even over the summer, we did this with our um, our summer interns. We did this every time we met, and I saw growth in them. It was interesting. We did uh, the CBR journal, so it was just like whatever the Scripture was that day, and we read it and we looked at it and we asked these questions. And what was so interesting was the ways in which the Holy Spirit was guiding them to obedience. Because it's not even the ways that I would have said. I was like, well, that is true. Well, praise God. You said it, not me. You know <laughs> And so it, it kind of forces some ownership of that obedience. And then it's important that steps of obedience are specific and measurable. And then the leader of the group should demonstrate how to move to application from the scripture in her answer. So if you end up leading one of these groups... Um, what I'm asking you to do is when I want you to demonstrate this idea of we are reading scripture in order to obey. Because again, it doesn't, it's not necessarily our de facto way to read the scriptures. Any questions about that thus far? I would like when it says a portion of passage I can share with a specific person that can be in the group or outside the group. Yes. Remember, and then if you have accountability, then the group, you might need to tell the person. Yeah. The questions uh, about prayer. Uh, the really simple questions is what are you thankful? Actually, let me back up for a minute. I'm going to tell you a story. Um, there, I, I have a barber. I haven't really seen a barber a lot since COVID. But pre COVID, I was like, I'm going to try to do uh, e read pray just like through scriptures that I try to memorize, right? So I was sitting in the barber's chair and I was like, let me tell you a story about Jesus. I don't even remember which one it was. It was the whatever the parable was that day. I just told him. And I was like, Man, what you think of that? He was like, man, I, I need to go to church. I was like, okay. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. Like, I, I, There's been situations where I've just like done like a mini version of this. Yeah. What I'm talking about. Because God's word is powerful. 
That's the cool thing about it. Like, it's not about our cleverness. We believe that God's word actually does work in people's hearts. And so when we get down to the ask, asking the questions, so what are you thankful for? What are you stressed about? Thankful for is things you can praise God for and stress about. We kind of touched about this uh, a little bit. Is is really good time to demonstrate vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Stress is usually caused by suffering or our own sin or a combination. Yeah? And this is a good time to demonstrate how to confess sin to one another. So I didn't say, how, what are you sinning today? <laughs> but I can actually demonstrate. There are times when I feel like people don't really expect you to be transparent. They don't expect you to be honest about these questions. But if you are honest about these questions, so like a, a, a one that I have answered before, I'm stressed because I was very short with my kids yesterday. Like I, I need to be more patient with them. That is me confessing sin, right? And then the, the, the brother or the sister can, can pray for me and, and point me to the truths of the gospel, and that can be an ongoing topic of conversation. But I think it's important that when we want to lead by example, we want to demonstrate that which we want to see. Um, let's see. Then that third question is, anyone in the group or someone we know have a need we in this group could meet? Um, so again, obedience-based discipleship. A lot of the times, I'm kind of skipping ahead, but it's fine. A lot of the times, like when me or some of the other elders will hear about like pastoral needs, and we're like, oh man, that's intense. I don't know if I have the time to deal with that today or this week. Sometimes I have, right? But with these groups, I'm hoping that I'll have some, some people that will be willing, like, hey, man, maybe my group can do something about that, or at the very least pray for this situation. Because again, we want accountability and obedience. And this could be a really great tool to ensure that our church as a whole is cared for pastorally. Yes? So question, so kind of along those lines, I would imagine that if we're going to be in groups and confessing sin, there needs to be an element of trust and confidentiality, that we're not going to go to another group and share that. So that's a kind of a fine line in terms of it upward. And but also too, like if you're a leader in one of these groups, I, I would imagine that you want to tell your group, listen, you know, we're gonna share some hard stuff, or whatever, but if I feel that what you're sharing is something worthy of bringing up to Will, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so but so there's two kind of two parts sure. there's confidentiality, but then and then and then how do we release some of that information, whether it's to you or to other groups? Sure, sure. I mean, I think it depends on the thing, right? Um, I think that the the, the fact that these groups will be consistent is trust will be built over time. And so I don't expect people anybody to spill their guts on the first one, probably. And and that's fine. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But the majority of people will not. (laughs) But in meeting with the same group of people over time, that trust. will be built. So, but for them to know too that it's, it's, it's going to be confidential. Yes. Yeah, I think that's important to, to know. We don't need to be telling everybody business. But, uh, uh, you know. but I, I mean, I think as far as like, I think it's a case by case for basis on knowing when to, like, if somebody is like in danger or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, just, sure. It depends on the thing. Because right. um, sometimes, sometimes what's best for people is not what they want you to do. <laughs> and so it just kind of depends. Yeah. I was going to say, as a teacher, like, Part of my job is to like, if kids come to me and be like, can I tell you something unique? I promise I'll tell anybody. I just tell them like, I promise. 
hurting somebody else. You know, like I can tell them those things. And I feel like these kind of groups are going to have a very similar thing. Yeah. As long as there's no harm being caused, then yeah, I can be a secret yeah. or whatever. But so you, you can't make that, you can't make that promise. You right. can't say, I promise I won't tell you. Exactly. You can't. Yeah. yeah. I think so. So sometimes what happens too, I mean, this, this happens on a larger scale, like there might be a pastoral issue that like, I don't know how to deal with, like, like a, a shepherding thing. And so then I'll call another pastor and I, like, they don't know the person, you know, like, right. and I might even tell them, like, yo, this is something that's happening. I don't quite know how to proceed. And I think that is a, like, if you need help, if someone needs help, uh, if they need help care, you could still, you don't necessarily like, Yo, Will, so and so, da, 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 da. like, hey, look, this is a situation. Can can you give me some wisdom about how to navigate that? And so there's there's like layers of how you can you can deal with that. I don't I don't feel, just so you know, I don't feel the necessity to know every detail about everybody's life. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. But if somebody like is suffering in an extraordinary way or sinning in an, in an extraordinary way. Then, then you, as a as a brother or sister in Christ, need to take that seriously and make sure they are getting cared for. Um, and that that's one of the, the calls that, that Scripture has for us and the one another's. Anything else? Another question? Yes. How do we form the groups? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm gonna have y'all sign up when we're done, and then I think I'll just put y'all in groups. Okay. I hope it works. Yes. Are we going to do like compatibility as far as days or times of the day that we can meet? Is that going to be a factor? Yes. It is now. Yes, we will. <laughs> Indeed, we will. Okay, and so the other thing I wanted to say, and I kind of touched on it a little bit, is this, this is a, this is, let me pass you. This is a dynamic that I've seen. Everybody only has a certain amount of time margin, time that's not, you know, wrapped up in something. And what I've seen uh, with people in the church is that there's always a push and pull between community or fellowship, whatever you want to call that line, and mission and outreach. And given the choice, most people will choose the fellowship thing over the, the missional aspect, Okay. And so I want to say that that is a, a danger because you ever, you ever wonder like how do churches become so insular? They become insular because it's probably easier <laughs> to talk to people who, who you have a relationship with. It's easier to talk to people whom you built some, some clout with. But we also have to always con- consider, hey, we have a missional purpose. And I think that growth groups can serve the overall purpose of our church because we're encouraging, encouraging each other to obey. And one of the aspects of our obedience is that we are serving and on mission together as a church. So I'll say it in another more clear way. Growth groups are not a substitute for mission, but they are an aid to it. Okay? And so I think that this could be really cool because, I, you know, I, I, one of the, the cool dynamics in my life is like, because, you know, I work at a church with John and Caleb. And some, sometimes crazy stuff goes on, right? And, and discipleship issues are like, oh my, what? What do we do? What do we do? But then there's there's actually a level of camaraderie that's built as we're like trying to figure out how to serve a particular individual or, or respond to a particular um, you know thing that's happening. And so I think that same dynamic can be the case 
uh, within uh, a growth group. Another thing I, I want the growth groups to be uh, cognizant of and maybe willing to do, there are certain times there are um, maybe people on the elders' radar that are like on the edge of the community, right? Just kind of like they're, they're on the edge and not, not really kind of, kind of going. It, it, it would be awesome uh, if I could be like, hey, this group, could you reach out to them? And I'm not even saying they have to join a group. I'm just saying, hey, y'all work together to serve XYZ person, right? Uh, there's, um, I give you a real, okay, I give you a real life example. This week, there's a family that has come to the church two times because to ask me to take their kids to school because their car broke down. Okay, now kids need to go to school. Okay, so, so I took them, right? But I think that, like, that would be a very concrete thing. Like these, they're, they're like they're fringy on our church, not like completely random people. But if I was like, hey, group A, th- these people are having problems getting their kids to school. Would y'all like maybe put your heads together and see if there's a way that you could care for this person? And in doing that, uh, there would be some unity formed over the mission, but also um, there, there could be a, I guess, shared load of, of the things that, that we, we need to do as a church. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So it'd be nice to have like just some, oh, I know those people are committed because <laughs> they're in a group and they care, but therefore, can you do all right, see if I even do X, Y, and Z. Um, John, is there anything I'm missing, man? How long should you meet together before you split up and join another group? Man, that's a good question, man. I think a lot of it is, uh, I'm not going to put a hard and fast rule on that, uh, but you got you got seven people in your group. It's about that time, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, So, like, if your group's getting bigger, you, you know, you should probably think, because, again, the, the bigger the group, the harder it is uh, for transparency and accountability. How are they going to get bigger? I thought you were going to break up the groups. Oh, cool. So you this is invite people. Yeah. Okay. So I think when okay. sure when when people uh, hear about groups and they have an inkling for fellowship, they're going to want to come. And so so we we tried a, a pilot one with some ladies in our church, and it's what did y'all start with? Okay. What did y'all start with, Emily? Four. Well, how many are now? Five. See? It just grew. Huh? And yeah, we didn't I didn't tell nobody about it. You know? <laughs> so I, I don't I don't foresee I, I foresee that, that they will grow over time. And even if like let's say if, if I assign one of the groups, hey, this is a person that needs help. Uh, after y'all help that person in a while and you develop a relationship, I, I, I could see as a possibility that you would invite that person in the group. And new people in the church. And new people in the church, they're, you know, they're, they're going to hear about it. But to John's point, like, will that group, will you eventually, like, say, all right, let's kind of get new groups and shuffle things around? I mean, or will it kind of yeah. stay consistent? Man, I don't know, bro. Let's figure it out. I will say, again, I think, so, you know, let's just say your, your group hits six. It's like, y'all need to start thinking. So three and three, and then maybe invite other people. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's, it's probably wise. And, and here's one of the reasons that the, the directions are so simple. Because I'm not asking somebody else to do something complicated. Yeah. I'm like, you remember the thing that we did? Can you go do that over there? Who decides who's the leader? And who decides, like, how closely are you or other elders following the leadership? Of sure. The 
So what we're planning right now is we're going to have a, a quarterly leaders meeting. All right, so every three months we're going to have as of the broker leaders will meet, and we'll, there might be a particular training on some aspect, but a lot of it is going to be sharing, you know, what are some, some high and lows of the groups, and how can we uh, care for people who are in those groups. Does that answer your question? What's the question? So, if somebody wants to be a leader, are they going to be a leader? Not necessarily. Yeah. That's your call. Are you going to so like you're going to sign somebody? Yeah. Okay, so you're going to be closely interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interact. You, you want people to sign up, though, either initially, either they just want yeah. to be a member or they're interested in being Yo, if somebody signs up for a leader and I'm like, maybe not yet, I hope y'all cool with that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just, yeah, I, I think people, people are usually pretty self aware. Again, what I'm asking is not super complex. Can we invite people in our group that don't go to this church? Or do you want people to go to this church? I would prefer they go to our church. Okay. And I think that's probably because it's hard for somebody who doesn't know the person that's there to be vulnerable. Like, I don't know. I know people that don't go to this church, but they're not friends. But the other people in the group don't. Oh, okay. Sure. But you could do this. You could do this with some other people. Yeah, I don't know. Anything else? Afterwards, you have that paper. Um, Christine, have, if you are interested in joining one, there is a piece of paper signed. If you are interested in leading one, there also is another piece of paper to sign. You may don't do the cursor, but print your name. So I know who it is. Um, so before, before we kind of close, uh, I'm going to pray. And then we can go about our day. Um, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you have given uh, people in this church for us to love, for us to care for, to, to, for us to be encouraged by, for us to be challenged by. Lord, I pray that these groups will be an avenue through which we could fulfill the one another's that are in the scripture. Lord God, that you would work powerfully uh, in these groups so that people would know you more, that, that they will be... Um, that they could feel a sense of your care through other people within the church. And Lord, that we will be equipped to be witnesses to your goodness and to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.